I've not met you before, my name's Paul. I um, fit shutters for a living, and my family's been part of this church my whole life. I grew up in Brazil, um, in the northeast of Brazil, and I speak here from time to time. Um, <clears throat> I wonder, just to start off with a question, if you were to be really honest with yourself, um, when someone says the word church, what does that mean to you? What does church mean to you? Just think about that for a moment. What, what is church? Is it a place where you come to, to meet with your God? Is it a useful club that does good activities for your kids? Is it a place you go out of habit, if you're honest? Is it a place where your friendship group is? What's church to you? I've been... Um, So I speak every now and then here, and I've been working my way through the book of Genesis. Every time I speak, I do a different chapter in the book of Genesis. Um, So I started right at the beginning with the creation, and then there's the story of Adam and Eve, and Genesis chapter 3, there's the fall, and then things kind of get worse and worse, and there's the story of Cain and Abel, and humanity kind of gets progressively worse, and then I spent absolutely ages speaking on Noah. I never realized until I started doing this series how long Noah goes on for. It's quite a few chapters, but you'll be glad to know that Noah doesn't get loads of mentions this evening. His story's kind of finished, and we've arrived at Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10 is an interesting chapter, uh, as you're about to see. Uh, It's often referred to as the table of nations. So what it basically is, is the story of Noah's come to an end, and Noah's got three boys, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Genesis chapter 10 is basically explaining the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and all the clans and peoples that they go on to become. So it's kind of like a genealogy, kind of explaining the nations that come after the flood from Noah. And to us, with our way of seeing things, I think for a lot of people, this chapter comes across a little bit weird. You kind of think, God, why have you given so much space in your book to just quite a long list of names? What's that about? And I wonder if you're someone that reads the Bible, when you get to a list like this, what do you do? Are you one of those people who just skips it? Or do you kind of skim through it? Or if you're like me and you kind of have a problem, you have to read every single name or you feel like you haven't fulfilled your religious duty, it's like, I've got to read every name or I haven't properly read the chapter. <laughs> I think I'm getting better at that, but when I was a kid especially, it's like, no, God, God's watching, and if you don't read all the names, then you've not done it properly. <laughs> oh dear, I'm sharing my issues with you. Um, and it was, it was suggested that I just skip this chapter. It was suggested that I skip Genesis chapter 10, maybe just say that there's a lot, list of names, these are the descendants of Noah, and move on to the next story. And I didn't skip this chapter for three reasons. Firstly, because I'm quite stubborn and I said that I was going to speak through Genesis chapter by chapter, and Genesis chapter 10 is the next chapter, so I've got to do it. Um, second reason is it says this in 2 Timothy. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if all scripture is God-breathed and useful, then Genesis chapter 10 must be as well. The final thing was, uh, I don't know if Janice is here this evening, she was here this morning. There's a lady in our congregation who, um, she worked in Bible translation in Sudan, 
uh, for a time, and she said that one of the things, I remember chatting to her a while back, and she said one of the things in, the tri in one of the tribes where she was working, one of the things that made people believe that the Bible was reliable and true were the genealogies. Because for them, as a tribal people, it was so important to understand their ancestry. And loads of them could trace their ancestry back 12, 13 generations. And so the genealogies were really important to them. So I kind of thought, Genesis chapter 10, it's got to have something useful. So we're going to be looking through that today. You might think that was a mistake. Um, but we're going to be reading through Genesis chapter 10. And just to keep you engaged, I've got some sweets here. Your challenges are these. Number one... How many different names are mentioned? And names includes names of individuals and names of people groups. How many different names come out of Noah and his three sons? And there'll be a prize for the closest bidder uh, after the reading. And then, if you're really sharp, and this will be seriously impressive, someone got it this morning, there three times in this chapter, there is a group of four words that kind of come together in a sentence, four words that get repeated three times in the chapter. If you can spot what those four words are, I'll give you two sweets, because that's impressive. Um, I'm going to ask Felicity to come up. Now, I said this morning, Felicity needs your prayers for two reasons. Uh, the first reason is that she's going to read this chapter, and there's a lot of quite difficult names in there. And the second reason is that she's, I said got to, that she's going to marry me in three weeks' time. Um, that probably requires more prayer. But over, over to you. <clears throat> this is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togomar. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, the Kittites, and the Rodanites. From these, the maritime peoples spread out into their lands by the clans within their nations, each with its own language. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sabteca. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Kalna in Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Kala, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala, which is the great city. Egypt was the father of the Luddites, Anamites, Lehabites, Naphtahites, Pathrusites, Kalahites, from whom the Philistines came, and the Kaphtorites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvidites, Zemorites, and Hamathites. Later, the Canaanite clans scattered, and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon towards Gerar, as far as Gaza, and then towards Sodom, Gomorrah, Admar, and Zeboim, as far as Lasher. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages in their lands and nations. Sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Aphraxad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Meshech. Aphraxad was the father of Shelah, and Shelah was the father of Eber. 
Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. His brother's name was Joktan. Joktan was the father of Almadad, Shelef, Hazmaveth, Jerah, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were sons of Joktan. The region where they lived stretched from Misha towards Sephar in the eastern hill country. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their lands and nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these nations spread out all over the earth after the flood. Brilliant. The same reaction this morning. I've never seen someone get a round of applause for a reading. But, um, she got one this morning as well. You did read it well. That was great. Um, should we we pray together? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Um, Thank you that all of it is useful. And I pray you'd speak to us for it. Would you come, Lord, by your Holy Spirit and and speak to us? Say the things you want to say to us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Now, to avoid heckling, I've had heckling before for this very reason. If you were here this morning, it's on your head if you shout out an answer. Um, <laughs> how many different names got mentioned? Anyone? Anyone want to take a punt? Who said 90? 90. Anybody else? Luke? 98. Noah? How many? 100, I thought it said 500, <laughs> I know it went on a while, yes, 70, yes, 74, so this is tricky because the answer is 70 plus Noah, Shem, Ham and Japheth, so I'll give you a sweet each, do you mind if I chuck it? Okay, I'll bring it to you, <laughs> there you go, well done. So it's 70. The number 70 comes up quite a lot in the Bible. It's kind of a number of completeness. Uh, it crops up a few times. It, it gives the impression that that genealogy is not everybody. It's not all of the descendants. They've selected some key ones. So the 70 is, is an important number that comes up in the Bible. So for the bonus question, did anyone get the four words that crop up three times? Mr. Robert Foster. These are the sons. That does repeat itself a few times, so I'll check you a sweet, but that's not what we're looking for. These are the sons. Yeah, it's four words. Clans and languages, that's close enough. There you go. So it's in verses 5, 20, and 31. And whenever the Bible repeats something, it's generally important. Can you see the words that are repeated? There they are. Lands, clans, nations, and languages. Clans, languages, lands, and nations. That gets repeated three times, those four words. Now, we think that this list was written around the time of Moses. And to the Jewish people, or the Semitic people, by the way, do you know where the word Semitic comes from? Or Semites? So, you know, in the news, it comes up quite a lot, anti-Semitism. Do you know where that word comes from? That word comes actually from, pretty much from this chapter. It's, so, Semitic, Semites, are, the Semites were the sons of Shem, So Noah has a son, Shem, and his descendants go on to be what we call the Jews. And so Semitic peoples are the sons of Shem. And that's where we get 
the word Semitic. So to the Semitic people, this list was really important. Um, because as they looked back at their history, this chapter showed them where they'd come from and who they'd come from, and also who they were in relation to all the people around them. So at the time of Moses, there's all kinds of clans and peoples around them, and it helped them have an understanding of the human geography of the people around them. And they go on to have all kinds of wars, especially with the sons of Ham. Um, but it also, the, this chapter we've looked at today, it, it talks a lot about how the different people groups went into different areas geographically, actual physical places. And so for the Semitic people, for the Jews, it helped them understand who they were, but also where they were. So it's kind of like Genesis chapter 10, if you're a Jew, it's kind of like a map for your identity. They're real people in real families, in real places, and they knew who they were and where they were. It's that real strong sense of I know who I am, I know who my family is, and I know who those people over there are as well. And I know where I am as well. I know that this land belongs to my people. And from all those different clans that got mentioned in that chapter, the Jews had a very special and a very clear sense of who they were, very clear identity. Look at this. This is words um, God speaks over them in Deuteronomy. It says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Then also in Exodus chapter 19, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And that sense of strong identity that the Jews had lasted them through all kinds of pressures, all kinds of wars, all kinds of oppression. They knew who they were as a people. That was their identity. They knew where they belonged. And you might be sat there thinking, well, that's great for the Jews, but what's that got to do with me sitting here in 2023 in Sutton Coalfield? Did anybody spot, there are two people in that passage Felicity read, um, that we get given a little bit of extra information about them that's not about their kids or where they lived. Did anyone spot them? Sweetfoot, if you can get a name. Anyone spot anyone? Who said Nimrod? Yes. Do you mind if I throw a sweet at you, madam, or should I come and deliver it? No, the man's ducking. (laughs) I'm quite good at throwing, but... Yes, Nimrod was one. Anyone get the other one? Sounds a bit like what a pirate has. Eye patch? No, it's not eye patch. <laughs> Robert. Jubal. No, not Jubal. It's not the name I'm looking for. It says that in, in his days, the, the, the world was divided. Anyone? Peleg, that's correct. There we go. It was Peleg. So, we've got... Nimrod and Peleg. I think Nimrod was, um, was it a, a British fighter plane? The Nimrod. And it's also a piece of music by, um, what's the composer? Elgar. There you go, you're more cultured than I am. Um, so Nimrod gets a mention. He actually gets quite a few verses, and he stands out. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That's why it's said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And he's an impressive man. He obviously impressed the people of his day, so he gets a special mention. And then Peleg, his name actually means division. 
What I was getting at with the pirate thing was peg leg, by the way, not, not eye patch, Luke. Um, <laughs> his name uh, means division, and it's probably a reference to the next story that we'll get to next time, Genesis 11, which is the Tower of Babel, when uh, the people are divided. God confuses people by changing their languages. Um, so one man gets a special mention. He gets his identity from the impressive things that he achieves. And the other man gets his name, his identity, because of something that God did in the time he was alive. And guess which one goes on to be the ancestor of the Jews and Abraham of King David and ultimately of Jesus? It's, it's the second one, it's Peleg. So if you look in Luke chapter 3, if you're interested, you can see a genealogy of Jesus and, and Peleg's in there as one of his early ancestors. And this was the identity that Jesus lived in. It's really important to understand this. He was a Semite. Jesus was a Semite. He was a Jew. And he knew his identity. He knew his land. He knew his people and their history. And if you read the New Testament, all of Jesus' first followers would have known that identity. This is our people. This is our history. This is our land. And you might be asking, okay, what's that got to do with me? Firstly, if you want to understand who Jesus is, and if you want to understand the New Testament, it really helps to understand that underlying strong sense of Jewish identity that came with being a Jew at the time of Jesus. And even today, if you want to understand the Bible, if you want to understand the New Testament and Jesus, we need to understand that underlying sense of we are a clan, we are a people that's different to everybody else. You might be thinking, okay, is that it? These lists in Genesis chapter 10 are also a reminder of something that's really important. So if we fast forward two chapters, this is a promise that God makes to Abraham. So Abraham's descended from Peleg a few generations down. God says this to him, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And then this is the key bit. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Genesis chapter 10, it shows us Noah and his three boys and all the clans that come out of them. And then if you think about that promise that all of the clans and nations of the earth are going to be blessed through Abraham, that's ultimately what happens in the New Testament with Jesus. So out of one man come all of these clans. And then that promise from Abraham all the way is fulfilled in Jesus. And all of those clans get brought together in Jesus, in the book of Acts. And it's really important to understand how shocking what goes on in Acts would have been to the Jewish community. That people from all clans around the world get brought in to the people of God. So let me explain what I mean. You remember those two verses about the, the Jewish identity, the words that God spoke over the Jews. Look at these words. You're a people holy. God has chosen you. You're treasured possession. You're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The Jews had this as their sense of identity. This is who we are. We're different to everybody else. And then suddenly in Acts, when the door gets opened to the Gentiles, to peoples from all kinds of clans and nations, 
Look at this that gets written to the early church. So this is written to Christians from all kinds of backgrounds. Look at the language. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. They're deliberately using that same language that was spoken over the Jews, but this time over a church that's gathered people from all over the world. If you look around you, you'll notice that a lot of the people around you don't look like you. And the reason is, what's going on here is church, what Jesus has done is he's brought people from every tribe and every nation, and he's brought them all, all of us, into one clan. Church was never meant to be a club. This isn't just a place for you to exercise your own personal spirituality. This is meant to be a clan, a family, a people. Just like what the Jews had, we belong to each other. Our lives get connected by something much deeper, much stronger. I don't know where you were born. Maybe you were born at Good Hope up the road, or if you were born in London, or in Liberia, or in Hong Kong. Wherever you are born, we all get brought in. I think this verse, this next verse, summarizes it probably the best. This is from Galatians, writing to a church of people from all kinds of backgrounds. It says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I think if you read the book of Acts, the impression that's given is never that Christianity is a new religion that gets started at that point. It's not. It's that we get invited into the people of God. We are the new Israel. We're the descendants of Abraham. And you might be thinking, okay, Paul, if, if church was meant to be a clan, if it was meant to look like a clan, a family, why does church look how it looks now in England in the 21st century? Why does it look like that? Now, I'm not a church historian, um, and this is going to be a very rough sketch, but I'm just going to give a kind of rough impression. You can, those of you that know better can correct me afterwards. Um, so in the early church, the Christians are different to everybody else around them. And so that idea of being a clan, being a family, is really important for survival. And they're strong. They have a strong sense of identity. We are the people that God's chosen in Jesus. And, and there's persecution, and it's difficult, but they're strong, and they're together. And then something happens in, I think, the 4th century with this man. This is um, Emperor Constantine the Great. I think that's a statue of him outside York Minster. And what happens is Christianity goes from being a small persecuted group that's growing fast to suddenly becoming a state religion. So the Roman Empire takes on Christianity suddenly in the 4th century. Um, suddenly Rome becomes Christian. And Christianity goes from being this isolated group of people that's spreading quite fast to being a state religion. And so over time, church goes from being this clan, this family, to being something that you go to on a Sunday, something that you do to fulfill your religious duty. And over the centuries, 
church has drifted, I think, from how we as a collected people relate to God together to here in the individualist West being about how I express my personal relationship with God, which isn't a bad thing, but it's definitely not the whole picture. I think the church was always meant to be a place where people could come and find a deep, strong sense of identity. And I don't know about you, but I have a lot of conversations with people in my day-to-day life, and I think a lot of people are hungry for some idea of who they are and where they belong in the world. And I think over time, as the church, we've maybe lost a little bit of the strength of that identity that God's given us. I think as a people here in, in Britain today, we're a bit anemic when it comes to identity. And people are hungry. And all of us, whether we're Christians or not Christians, we go looking for a sense of who we are and where we belong all over the place. Some places healthier than others. I'm not going to go through the list of places that keep people go looking, but um, I, I love football. I'm excited that the Premier League started again. And football clubs are a place that men go, men especially, but women too, to find identity, to find belonging, to find a people and a clan where we belong. But the problem is football clubs don't fulfill everything that a clan needs to fulfill. I was talking yesterday on the phone to a Christian lady, and uh, she found herself, just through knowing a guy, she found herself, um, basically this older man was given a terminal cancer diagnosis, and she found herself being his carer, basically because the only other relative he had was his elderly brother. He had no one else to look after him. She said, this guy has loads of acquaintances, loads of friends, But when the rubber hits the road, when you get a terminal cancer diagnosis, who's there for you? Who's going to be there through the night? I think today we find ourselves in a society where we have lots of acquaintances and lots of friends. But when you get a a cancer diagnosis, what you need is a clan. What you need is a people. When you're old and maybe dementia starts to set in, you don't need a club, you don't need acquaintances, you need a clan, you need a people. Because people who belong to a clan, people who belong to a people, when life gets tough, you know who you're turning to. That's not something you need to worry about. And I don't want to be... It's not all doom and gloom. I've got a good friend who's not a Christian, and he's a pediatrician. He's he's traveled around quite a lot, and we were talking, and he said there are two communities that he's seen in his life where people have healthy relationships with people in generations above them and generations below them, but also healthy relationships with people of their own age. He said that's incredibly rare, healthy vertical relationships and healthy horizontal relationships. He said two communities where he's seen that done well in his life. One is a small village in the Welsh Valleys, and the other, he said, he's had a lot to do with this church, the other one is your church, Paul. And he said, and what that means is you have healthy older people and healthy, well-rounded younger people. So I think for us, as Sutton Coldfield Baptist Church, we've been given something good. We've got a good heritage, a good culture. We are a clan. We are a family, that, but not one that looks inwards to defend our own interests. We're a family that looks outwards. What we do is we bless the people outside the doors. We welcome the stranger in. 
And also, I think something really important about being a clan, being a people, is, like it said in the chapter, is knowing where you are. You can't just be a clan in some abstract nowhere. You have to be a, a people in a place. There's something really important about the land, the place where, we, where God's put us to be a blessing there. Um, if you're a Tolkien fan, uh, this is a little quote from Gandalf in The Return of the King. It's in Old English. Um, but I'll kind of translate it in a second if you don't follow what he's saying. This is, what, this is Gandalf in The Return of the King. He says, It's not our part to master all the tides of the world, but to do what is in us for the succor of those years wherein we are set, uprooting the evil in the fields that we know, so that those who live after may have clean earth to till. What weather they shall have is not ours to rule. In other words, it's not our job to sort out all of the world's problems. It's our job to look at the place where God's put us today and think, okay, what's wrong that we can set right? And what good can we plant so that the next generation has a chance at seeing something good? We don't know what's in the future and we can't control everything, but we can make a difference in this place where God's put us this year. So, what do we do with all this information? I wonder, I'm going to do something a little bit different now. I wonder if you would close your eyes with me. And I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, I pray, would you come into my mind and my heart and... Would you take all of my thoughts and ideas about what church is and would you take anything that you didn't mean to be there away? Lord, when I open my eyes, would you help me to see these people around me in the way that you'd have me see them? Amen. Do you open your eyes? So just to finish, if we look at one another as a people, as a clan, not just as a place we come on a Sunday, if we look at each other in that kind of different way, what I've done is I've made 10 suggestions for the church clan. And you can feel free to completely ignore all of these if that's what you want to do. If, no, Paul, I want church to be the thing I go to on a Sunday evening and that's that. That's fine, you can carry on doing that. But you might just miss out on something. My suggestion is take one of these and try and do it this week. You ready? Here we go. Number one, ask yourself this question. Where do I get my sense of identity from? And am I happy with that? Whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, Jesus can give you a new sense of identity and belonging that's different to the identity or belonging you can find anywhere else in the world. Number two, go visit someone from this church or from somewhere else and treat them with as much love and honor as you can muster. Show an interest in their life. Pray for them. Number three, 
Invite people to come and eat with you, whether it's at your house or somewhere else. Invite people to eat with you and share time together. Number four, and this one's controversial, just let, let, me, let me explain myself. When you see a Christian on the street, act like you really love them. <laughs> Why do I say that? I say that because my mom always used to say, sometimes your feelings follow your actions. And sometimes you'll see people from church on the street and you won't feel like saying hello to them. And you'll think, I'd rather bump into anyone else except for you. In that moment, act with that person, not to be false, but to be the kind of person that you want to be. Act as if they're someone that you really love. I shared this morning, I'll try not to, try, I cried a bit this morning, I didn't mean to. Um, whenever I'm walking around the street and I see one of you guys, someone from church, I feel such a warmth in my stomach. And I think that comes from Jesus. I, I see Ted Roberts on the street and I feel such a warmth. And it's because I, I love you. I, I love God's people. And I think that's from Jesus. I think we're made to be a family, a, a clan that loves each other. I think that's good and that's healthy. So when you next time on the street you see someone from church, try to act like you really love them. <laughs> okay, I'll move on now. Number five, tell someone, maybe at work, tell someone you know what you love about church. Number six, if you don't already, send money. So the clan goes beyond these walls. The Christian clan's massive. Send money to Christians that you don't know yet. And if you already send money to Christians you don't know yet, maybe you've got compassion kids, maybe you support missionaries, something like that, renew your interest in them. Pay attention to them as if they were your own sibling, someone you love dearly in your own family. Show a new kind of interest in what they're doing, what their life's like. Number seven, pray for someone. Decide to pray for someone every day this week as if they were your own family member you love dearly. Number eight, if you know somebody who's struggling with working out who they are or where they belong, get over your embarrassment and invite them to something at church. Say, come along, I know somewhere where you can find a real sense of who you are, a place where you can belong. Number nine, thinking about the land where God's put us. Why don't you this week walk around the area where you live? Walk around the place where you live for about half an hour, and while you're walking, ask God to show you, God... What are the things here that upset you that you think are wrong? And what good can be planted here in this time, in this year? Have a prayer walk around the place where you live. And then finally, number 10, hang around a little bit longer. After the service ends, if you find it awkward chatting to people, push through, get to know somebody you've not met before. Show an interest in someone. You might learn something new, you might meet someone interesting. And then finally, just to finish up, if you're somebody who reads the Bible and whenever you come to long lists of names, you think, oh, here we go again. Use that as a reminder from God. See that as God reminding you of the whole clan thing. Think, do I know what my identity is in Jesus? Do I know where I belong and who I belong to? And use that list of names as a reminder. I belong to an ancient and a precious clan and a family that Jesus has formed. 
Let's pray together. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Lord Jesus, help us this week to live for you, to be the people of God in the places where you've put us this week. And help us to do that in a way that makes you glad and in a way that blesses this world and the communities where you've put us. And we're asking you these things, Lord, because we love you and we want you to be known. Amen.